0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're continuing. This is week five of our Below the Surface series. We've been spending some time over the summer just going a little deeper into some of the questions um, or maybe even the theological concepts that we hear and we kind of nod our head like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I really don't know what you're talking about. And we've been spending some time looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, looking at how God saves us. Uh, we'll be talking about the second coming of Christ in a couple of weeks, but for these next two weeks, uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about the gift of healing. What does this look like we say that God is a God who heals, not just a God who did heal, but the God who's the, yesterday, the same yesterday, today, and forever is a God who still Kills us, and as we talk about this subject, I was I was thinking back to an experience that I had of, of doing something that I said I would never ever do. Uh, anybody have any of those? I'll never will I ever 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 do this. Uh, one of those is skydiving. Still, I, I never ever 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 planned to skydive. Uh, I also said I would never have a dog, and that of course, as you know, has fallen. So. <laughs> So you've got to be careful with your never will I ever's. But one of the things I said I would never do is scuba dive. Um, that just terrified me. I thought, no, thank you. I'm thinking of Matt. He's learning. He's working in a commercial diving program right now, learning about that. You know, God bless you. Wayne and Naomi, I know. Different ones have you scuba dive. Who, who scuba dives or has scuba dives? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, more of you are interested in that than I was. So... <laughs> One thing I said I'd never do is scuba dive, but a few years ago, we took a trip up to Vancouver Island. Dwayne and I did a little getaway. He is scuba certified, loves to scuba dive, doesn't get to do it quite enough, Uh, often enough, but that was one of those moments where I said, you know what, I'm going to surprise him, and I'm going to take a Discover scuba diving class. It's like this intro to scuba diving class, and if you've ever done this, you know, you start out in the pool, you learn a few things, um, and of course, you know, we're in pristine waters up off of the the coast of, you know, Victoria, and so I'm thinking, this is as good as it's going to get, because I know the water is clear, I know that I can see, Now I grew up in Texas where the water was like, This is your visibility. It's so muddy and murky, and I knew there were big catfish, and I definitely never wanted to ever be below the surface with them. Uh, But I thought this is going to be great, so I surprised him and said, "Hey, guess what? We're gonna we're gonna go do this." And he was like, "Wow, that is just totally blown away," and he's loving it. So I'm in the pool, and if you know, you're in the pool, you've got perfect visibility. I mean, you've got a bottom to the pool that's like a very predictable. Number of feet down, you can see all around you. And I was going, okay, I can, I can do this. You know, I'm hearing that, you know, and all that stuff and getting used to the sounds and how you, you know, work your mask and all that. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can, I'm going to be okay. Then they take you out into the boat. And they strap those huge tanks to your back, and then they tell you something that just defies logic. You need to fall over backwards off the side of the boat, and it feels like you're going to go straight to the bottom. So once I, you know, the rest of everybody had already gone off the boat, and I'm still sitting on the side of the boat trying to get my nerve up, and I finally fall back and discover, you do float. You know, it's, you're not going to go straight to the bottom. But then I did the actual dive, and for the record, I only went about 20 feet down, because that's about as far as, I could, as far as I could go. But here is my experience. First of all, my mask filled up with water. I started to panic, and I came straight up to the surface. Cleared my mask, got my nerve back. The instructor came back, went back down. Now, to my left, I could see this slope of land that went straight up to the light, to the shoreline. And I could see very clearly. And as long as I looked to the left, I was fine. But if I looked to the right, that slope went straight down like this into complete blackness where you couldn't see the bottom. And I thought... I cannot do this any longer, and I started to panic. Fortunately, I had an inst- the instructor saw what was going on, motioned to Dwayne, hey, you can go down a little deeper, and had, had visibility, and he came up alongside me on that right side. I was fine as long as I could see the light, and I could see where it, it ended. But I was not okay when I didn't know where I was in relationship to the depth I was in, and I couldn't see the bottom, and I couldn't see around me. You ever feel like that in life? When you're like, I, I am in so deep, I don't even know where the bottom of this thing is. And as it relates to the subject of divine healing, sometimes it can feel like that. Like, you know, we're, we're, isu- we're wrestling with these issues of our humanity. What is it like to live in a physical body? Uh, where does it end? Where is the sovereignty of God? What can I trust? Um, our mortality, loss. Things that we can't explain, things that feel out of control. And it's in that, it's in that picture that we have the faithful companion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, com- the accompaniment, the companionship of the Holy Spirit to guide us in those times when sometimes it's really clear and I'm in a pool and I can see, other times I can't. But today I'm praying that this conversation that we're going to have and this teaching over the next couple of weeks will be like that companion to say, I'm not alone. It doesn't matter what it looks like down below. I don't need to know that. I know that someone knows the way and can lead me through that. So as we talk about healing, some of the big questions that come up is, can God heal? Does he have the ability? And if he does have the ability, does he still do it today? Would he do that for me? And how can I trust that? What is the basis for our belief in divine healing? And we have to start with looking at our, our instructor over here, this faithful companion. What is the nature of God? Who is this person that we are trusting, that we are entrusting in, in our lives to? And we notice that there are certain nature, that his nature, his character, attributes are on display. Not only just his power, but these other attributes that we also have to keep in mind when we think about this subject of divine healing. First of all, God is sovereign. We recognize the sovereignty of God. Not only has he created and does he sustain life, but he has. we have to recognize his rule, not only over creation, but his right to exercise that rule at any time in whatever way he sees fit, with his wisdom care, tempered by his, ju- his justice, his compassion, his faithfulness, his goodness, all the other things that he can't deny about his nature. And this is really good news because we recognize that, one, that God is in control. Thank God. God is in control. No matter how out of control it may seem, God is always in control. And we also recognize these other attributes, this kindness, this compassion, this faithfulness. A few scriptures that, that illustrate who our God is. Exodus 34, 5-7 says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud, that was his power descending, and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, I am, the one who exists, the one who always will be, the one who holds all power. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is our God who can descend, proclaim his name, but also say, I am a God of compassion. I forgive. I'm gracious. I love you. Isaiah thirty eighteen. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you What? compassion. He cares. The Lord is a God of justice. Bless are all who wait for him. Psalm 109, 21, 22 says, but you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. For your name's sake, out of the goodness of your love, deliver me for I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. You have the ability, you are sovereign, but in your goodness, deliver me because my heart, my heart, even in Romans 1:20 we we see that even through creation we can see both his power and his nature at work his divine nature and his power at work in those invisible attributes just by what we observe you know you think about when you go to go to the edge of the sound and you see the power of the water the water that can shape and and change shorelines and and change all different kinds of things as it flows and yet it's restrained by the boundaries when God said, "This far you can go, and no further," that power and the and that restraint, we see that even in, in that. So God's power is displayed and is consistent with His character, and it's through this lens that we look at the at divine healing, the nature of divine healing. And there are a couple of things I want to sh- I want to say up front that I want to, that will hopefully bring a little confidence as we talk about this. Because sometimes we talk about or think about divine healing, we think about these faith healers, we think about these big, extraordinary, powerful events and extraordinary acts of physical healing. Um, And that's kind of the picture that we can have in our mind when we think about it. But I want you to know that divine healing, when God intervenes in in our lives in a way to heal us, and the faith to believe in healing is not in conflict with wisdom, it's not in conflict with kind of the laws of our natural world or the gifts of medical knowledge. God can heal in any way that he chooses to heal, and in our spirits, we're, we're living an eternal life now, but our physical bodies have limitations that we recognize. Um, if we abuse our bodies, they're going to be prone to illness and to, and to sickness. Um, if you're in a car accident, you may suffer bodily harm. We are, we are subject to the laws of this natural world that God has also created. If you are under high stress or a traumatic situation, those, those emotional or those mental wounds can have physical manifestations in our bodies. We know this. And, of course, we naturally age. All of our bodies are breaking down day by day. We were not created in these physical bodies. that They have limitations. And the Bible refers to our lives as vapors. Like mists, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. They're temporary. Paul even calls it like a tent, a tent that's going to be taken down someday. And at some point, our physical bodies will fail. Job fourteen five, Job saying says a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set the limits that he cannot exceed. God sets that and decrees the number of our months, but He sets limits that we can't go past. No matter how, how well we take care of our bodies, at some point they will fail. Jesus raised Lazarus, but he didn't grant him immortality. At some point, Lazarus would die a physical death, even though God resurrected. and He showed his power to do that. So we recognize that. Second, we acknowledge that God heals in many ways. God heals through faith and miracles. I have, as a child, I had the benefit of, of uh, being in a church where there were some extraordinary miracles that took place cancers that were healed and reversed, um, that God you know, made known to somebody, and they hadn't even told their family, and yet God said, this person needs to be healed of cancer, came forward, was healed. I watched a, a man who came forward with a broken back, physical broken back, and was healed. I saw another man that was well into his 80s, had long had a deaf ear, and he came forward for prayer. After he had stopped praying for years and years, they laid hands on him and just prayed in faith that God would heal, and his ear opened. How many of you have ever seen miracles like that? You can attest to that because you've seen it. Yes. God heals in miraculous, just mind-blowing ways at times. And sometimes he heals instantaneously and progressively. Sometimes he heals through the medical professionals that are given the wisdom um, to, to heal us in those conventional and sometimes unconventional ways. There are people who use naturopathic medicine or herbalists or botanists who are gifted to know how to use the creation that God has given us to, to use that for our benefit. We're going to look at a passage in Scripture that illustrates that. Counselors, therapists, that all are, are trained and equipped and gifted by God to heal our minds and emotions. But this is not in conflict with divine healing. And I I came across a a wonderful chapter in Richard Foster's book on prayer where he's talking about this this idea of healing prayer. And Richard Foster writes, there may be times when God asks us to rely on prayer alone for healing, but this is the exception and not always the rule. The refusal to use medical means to promote healing may be a gesture of faith. If God is asking you to do that, then you respond to God. But more often, it's a gesture of spiritual pride. (laughs) But then he he doesn't stop there. He says, It's just as possible to err in the opposite direction, of course. Many trust in medical means exclusively and turn to prayer only when all available medical technology has failed. So we recognize that God can heal in many different ways. And that does not stop us from praying and believing that God can and will heal. So as we talked about a few weeks ago, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church is a gift of healing. We see this in the New Testament. We see it in the life of Jesus as he goes about and it says he heals all their diseases. You know, the people had their hands laid on them. That prayer was offered. And sometimes healing came through a a miraculous deliverance. And sometimes it came just in a simple prayer. Sometimes Jesus said, you can go back your daughter is well. And he never even touched, touched the girl and she's brought to life. God can heal in many different ways. And we trust us. But these are not only just power gifts. These are very practical gifts for our everyday life. And that brings us to this third aspect of divine healing. As we understand the nature of healing. And this is a really important concept. We're going we're gonna to be camping out here for the remainder of our time. Before we talk about some practical ways that we can pray for healing. But in the Hebraic understanding of life in this body. Our mortal lives. There was no distinction between the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual parts of a person. It was all one and the same. So we're not talking about just what God can do in this physical body. We're talking about this understanding of the person that is comprehensive, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental. It's all one person. And as we talk about divine healing in particular, we're recognizing that spirit, soul, and body created by God are interconnected. Richard Foster continues in this chapter on healing prayer. He says, the distinction between priest and psychologist and physician is of recent vintage because for cultures and generations past, they saw this as one and the same, one and the same. So this idea that these were separate areas of our life is only kind of a recent idea. Always before the physician of the body, the physician of the mind, the physician of the spirit were the same person. Did you know that? The ancient Hebrews in particular saw persons as a unity, and for them it would be unthinkable to minister to the body without ministering to the spirit and vice versa. God heals us, spirit, soul, and body. So it is with enthusiasm that we applaud the demise of this heretical tendency to fragment and compartmentalize human beings. God cares about your spirit and your spiritual healing. He cares about your, the soul, your mind, your emotions. He cares about it. And he cares about your physical body. They're all interconnected. We are spirit, soul, and body. And so I want to take you to this passage in Exodus chapter 15 where we see this interplay in a very unique way as God reveals something about himself to the children of Israel. They've only come out of Egypt. They've been out three days. They are in the desert. They've had a miraculous, dramatic deliverance from 400 years of captivity and slavery God delivers them, and they find themselves in a desert three days later. It says in verse 22 of Exodus 15, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And we know you can't go very long without having water. So they're at their limits. For three days they can't find water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter And that's why it is called Marah, which means bitter in Hebrew. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? God's delivered us. He parted the Red Seas and now we're in this desert where we can't find water. And the only water we can find is bitter. Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Notice that phrase. He showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water the water became fit to drink and there the lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test and he said if you listen carefully to the commands your lord of the, of the lord to the lord your god and do what is right in his eyes and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees i will not bring on you any of the diseases i brought in the egyptians they had watched all the plagues unfold but he says if you listen to me and if you follow my ways I'm not going to... You're not going to go through that. I'm not going to bring that on you. For I am the Lord who... What? Who heals you. And he reveals something about his nature and about his character. He reveals a new name. Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam... Where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Rest, shade, life giving springs. And they camped there near the water. So, three days into their journey, they're thirsty physically, but the waters of the river are bitter. Literally, contaminated. The word that is used there for the kind of water they had was like urine water, wastewater. It was contaminated, it was undrinkable. There was nothing that was going to be productive in that. So they have a physical need for water, they're in a desert, they're thirsty, they can die without it, and it's contaminated. But what they didn't realize is that they also had an emotional and a psychological need. They'd just come out of 400 years of captivity, they'd witnessed plagues, they'd been displaced from their homes. There was a dramatic deliverance, yes, but tremendous upheaval for this group of people, and they're grumbling, and what's revealed is they're bitter, the water's bitter, but they are bitter, too. There's a root of bitterness they have to deal with. And what they also didn't know is they had a spiritual need. They didn't yet know the ways of God. That's what those next years were going to be about as they learned the words and the ways of God. So the contaminated physical water is made drinkable because God shows Moses a piece of wood. God gives Moses divine wisdom and knowledge to know what to do in that situation. And in this case, he shows him a physical ingredient that could be added to purify the waters. Now, if, some of you who cook or um, I know like in herbal medicine, there's a phrase that says bitters for bitters. Um, so if you cook, I love to cook. Um, if, you're, if the dish you're making turns out to be bitter, do you know what the remedy is for that? You can add a little bit of lemon or a little bit of vinegar to it to neutralize the bitterness. So a bitter for a bitter. Um, we see an extraordinary passage in 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elisha is used by God to help purify waters and kind of shown an ingredient and is used to, to heal this water. 2 Kings 2, the people came to Elisha and said, this, the waters are so bad. The town's in a great place, but the water's so bad that we can't drink it and, and the water's unproductive. The land's unproductive. And so Elisha tells him, bring me a bowl and put some salt in it. And he takes the salt and he throws it into the spring. We know that salt is a purifier. Throws it into the spring. And then he went as he did it, he said, this is what the Lord says. God gives him a word of knowledge, a word of of prophecy for this this group of people. And he says, I've healed this water and never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Because God showed him a way of purifying that. And the water remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So in this case, in that area of the desert, there was an abundance of a type of material, a type of wood known as acacia wood. And interestingly, to this day, acacia is used in places all over the world. In Africa and a lot of different countries, they will use acacia to purify water. It can neutralize bacteria. It can remove heavy metals like lead, from the water, and God shows him a piece of wood, a physical ingredient to heal a physical need. Isn't that amazing? It just blew my mind that I was studying this and and looking at this, but notice he doesn't stop there, because after the physical need is met, other rabbinic commentary teaches that God also used this moment to help them Realize their emotional and their spiritual needs. He had brought them to a place that was called Mara, bitter. To show them their bitterness, this is the same etymology in the story of Naomi and Ruth, when Naomi says, Don't even call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, because I'm bitter, I'm hurt, I feel devastated. It's the same type of words, the same word. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Now showed him a piece of wood is a little bit of a play on words. Yes, there was a physical thing that happened, but showed him a piece of wood is literally translated taught them a tree. Taught them a tree. Now what are we talking about there? In in Jewish um, literature, Something known as the tree of life, a metaphor, the tree of life, is what they would call the Torah, the words of God. Isn't that amazing? The tree of life. He taught them a tree. In other words, Moses begins to instruct them and teach them in the ways of the Lord so that God could bring healing to these other places of their lives. Notice verse 25 and 26. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. And he said, listen, if you listen carefully, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, because they didn't know the ways of the Lord. They needed spiritual healing that would bring emotional healing, as well as God taking care of their physical needs. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought in the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That's when change and healing begins. Emotional healing, spiritual healing begins when we listen and we adhere to the words and the ways of God and we walk in his ways. It's only then that they could travel on to a resting place, that place of palm trees and springs. God had to deal with all those places. So we see this. God heals a spirit, soul, and body. And any time that critical moments in different characters throughout the Bible, God would reveal his name in a very special way those persons. We think about the story of Abraham and Hagar. Found herself pregnant, mistreated, alone in a desert. God visits her, ministers to her, encourages her, and then says, he reveals himself as the God who sees. She says, you are El Roy. You are the God who sees. You're the God who knows my circumstances. My ways are not hidden from you. Bible says that he knows every hair on your head How much more, if he takes care of the little sparrows, will he not take care of you? Will he not take care? Because he is a God who sees. Other names that we see in scripture, Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. Jehovah Rohe, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, peace. He is our peace. Jehovah Nisi, our banner, when we need that protection. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. At different times when people needed to know or the people of God needed to know something about who God was and who he could be in that moment, God reveals his name to them. Whatever you need, God can. Period. Whatever you need today, God can. If you need provision, if you need healing, if you need guidance, You need the healing and the salvation of God. Whatever you need today, God can and God will. His power is limitless. He has the ability and the authority. And here he says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. And this is literally Jehovah, the God who is. I am who I am, period. And Rapha, I am the God who heals and restores This is not just a God who heals the physical bodies, but also inherent to that name is the restoration, the whole life restoration that God brings as he begins to heal us. God heals every part of us. Healing is not one-dimensional. God is not just healing your body. God is not just healing your mind. God is not just healing your spirit. Thank God we're saved, but he does so much more and wants to do so much more. That's why that scripture we we read at the beginning from Psalm 103 is such a a mark of praise as well as trust and confidence in God. As David writes, "'Praise the Lord, my soul, my soul, all my inmost being,' praise his holy name, those inner parts of me. "'Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your sins as your physical healing, who heals your diseases,' that's spiritual and physical, sorry about that, who forgives your sins, that's spiritual, who heals your diseases, physical, who redeems your life from the pit. When you are in those deep waters and you can't see the bottom and, and you don't know where it ends and it's, you can't see it, he redeems your life from the pit. He knows where you are and he snatches you out of that pit and crowns you with his loving kindness. That is the goodness of our God who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth. Your physical, mental, spiritual, emotional well-being is renewed like the eagles. Can we just say, praise the Lord? Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise his holy name. So when the waters of our life turn bitter, how do we pray? How do we pray? And I want to close with this. When things happen that we can't make sense of, how do we pray? First of all, we want to recognize that Jesus is our healer. This is not little words and magic when we come up and pray. When we come and we come around these places and we begin to pray for one another, we recognize that Jesus is our healer. Jesus alone is our healer. In the Gospels, I encourage you to look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as you read. and just Or even do a cover-to-cover search in your Bible. Look at all the ways and all the times. Go to Blue Letter or BibleGateway.com or your Bible app and look up Healed. Healing, look at all the ways that God heals and look at all the promises, it'll build your faith. But we know that Jesus heals us because he suffered, he received that suffering in his physical body to pay for our healing. Notice Isaiah 53, three through five. Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind. He was despised and rejected. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Does God know when we physically, emotionally, spiritually hurt? Does he understand when we're in a relationship or a situation when we're disappointed and we just feel devastated? Does God understand? Yes. He was despised and rejected. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Not just our physical pain, but our pain. The things that turn our life bitter. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions in his physical body. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our healer. And second, we accept that there are mysteries of God that we are not ever going to understand. It doesn't matter how many times I dive, not that I really ever want to again, (laughs) but if I did, I will never be an oceanographer. I will never understand the depths uh, and the mysteries that lie at the deepest places of the ocean. It's never going to happen. I don't even have a mind that's like really great for sciences and math, so that's definitely never going to happen. But God sees below the surface. He knows perfectly what we need. God sees into those deepest, those deepest places that are beyond our understanding, and he sees with perfect clarity. That's why Paul could exclaim in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him all are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of god god sees god sees i was talking to Dwayne. you know i mentioned he's scuba certified and when he did his diving final he dove in a very muddy lake called table rock lake in the branson area and he said the visibility was about three feet that's about as far as you could see around him he'd had some other dives when he had a little bit more clarity but you're never going to get like this kind of water clarity and i said how how did you feel like, I was like, what did, what did you do? When you can't see this, this far around you, what do you do? And he said, well, he said, you know, when we did that, he said, of course, people were scared because they couldn't see, you know, I would be. I, I feel claustrophobic if I can't, uh, no, get me out of there. I'd be right up at the surface. Um, but he said, but making it work came down to knowing who I could trust and knowing what I could trust. He said, I trusted the instructor. I trusted the water because I'd been there before. I trusted the map. I still see a map that would give you some guidance. You trusted your instruments. I trusted those that had been there before. I trusted the times when it was clear, the times when I could see. I trusted that. I tr- you trust the people that prepare your gear. You trust your training. You trust the equipment. You trust those who are with you. It's the same process for us when we get into those places and we seek God. We need to not only know that we're companioned by God, but we need each other we need to know that the, the Word of God that provides a map and a compass. We need to know and understand because, and lean on those times when the water has been clearer and we could see with clarity and knew that God came through for us. We lean on that and remember those times, and we trust Him. Third, we surrender and submit to Jesus as Lord of our lives. Jesus is not just the Savior, not just the one who rescues us out of waters that we would drown in. But Jesus is Lord of our lives. Not a word that's familiar to us in our context. But what that simply means is I hand over the keys to the heart of my life, and I say, Jesus, move in. You're in charge. I get out from behind the wheel. I hand Jesus the keys and say, you're driving now. You know better. Not only are you saving me from a whole mess, and I thank you for that, but now I need you to take charge of my life every area. In every area that's unclear to me, I surrender to your wisdom. I will do things the way you say. Jesus, you can speak to me about any area of my life and I will listen and I will say yes. I will say yes. I will say yes. I hand that over to him. He is Lord. There was a pastor who lost his wife um, down in California a few weeks ago and I heard uh, a sermon um, from him that had a couple of profound comments in that at the end of it preached her funeral, uh, preached this message three days after she died, and he said, may I never be found critiquing God when things don't go my way. When I said yes to follow Jesus, I gave up the right to lead my life. That's what it means to say, Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you for saving me, but now you're in control. And just like the Hebrew children in the book of Daniel, God will deliver me, but even if not, Even if not, I'm still not going to bow because I understand that God understands, God sees, God is Lord of my life, and I continue to trust him with my life. And the last thing is we pray in faith. That's why we invite people to come forward and to pray with you. We pray in faith and we persevere. We don't give up when we don't understand. It's easy to feel skeptical. And St. Augustine of Hippo. Many of you are familiar with St. Augustine from the year 400 AD. St. Augustine had taught and doubted the validity of healing prayer. He stated in his early writings that Christians should not look for the continuance of this healing gift, but in 424, he has an experience that completely upends his theology. When in 424, a brother and a sister came to his town and they were seeking healing from convulsive seizures this convulsive seizure disorder, and they came to Augustine's church for healing. They came every day to the church to pray for healing, and nothing happened until right before Easter. The young man, this brother and sister, the young man was in the crowded church praying. Augustine was in the vestibule ready for the processional when the young man fell down as if he was dead, fell down with a seizure. They thought he was dead. People were seized with fear, but the next moment he got up, stood staring at them, perfectly normal and fully cured. They came every day seeking, every day without giving up, every day, God, you are my healer. I believe that you can heal. Even when they were in a context where they didn't believe that that could happen. Augustine took the young man home for dinner. They talked at length. And slowly, Augustine's skepticism began to crumble before the witness Of this young man. How many of you know that when you have an encounter with with God in such a miraculous way, it causes you to reevaluate some things? And finally, after Easter, the third day after Easter, Augustine had both the brother and the sister stand on the choir steps where the whole congregation could see them. When we pray, yes, we're asking you to come forward, and there's a public element to that faith. You can pray in in private any time, but there is something that happens when we pray. Augustine had both of them stand up, and everyone could see Both of them, the the man who's healed and his sister who begins trembling violently with this convulsive seizure, he has everybody sit down and he began a sermon on healing. This is extraordinary. Augustine, however, was interrupted by shouts of the congregation for the young woman had also fallen to the ground and was instantaneously healed before their eyes. Once more, she stood before the people, and in Augustine's own words, quote, praise to God was shouted so loud that my ears could scarcely stand the din. All of this happened while Augustine was writing The City of God, his magnum opus. So he devoted one of the final sections of The City of God to the miracles of healing that occurred in his own diocese. And he described how he set up a process for recording and authenticating the miracles that were happening. He said for, quote, once I realized how many miracles were occurring in our own day, I saw how wrong it would be to allow the memory of these marvels of divine power to perish from among the people. It is only two years ago that the keeping of records was begun here in Hippo, and already at this writing we have nearly 70 attested miracles. Does God heal? Yes. Did God heal in, in the time when Jesus walked the earth? Yes. Did God heal in the year 400 A.D.? After the time cross, yes. Does God heal today? Yes. How many of you have experienced a physical healing in your body in a way that was unmistakable? How many of you ever witnessed that when you've been in a company, in a gathering of people? Yes. It happens. God can and God will. So that's why we come to James 5 and says, if anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. This is the instruction for us today. Let them pray. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Here's the instruction. If you're sick in spirit, mind, soul, body, emotions, relationships, wherever that sickness is happening, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. There's nothing magical in the oil. It is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it's the instruction of the Word of God. Let them pray, call the elders of the church, anoint them in oil, and the prayer that's offered in faith will make the sick person well. And who raises them up? The Lord. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, not only the physical body, but if they have sinned, they will be forgiven, the spiritual healing. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. By our God who heals. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We want to persevere in prayer. So today, as we think about the healing of God that's available for each of us, I'd like for you to stand. Let's stand today. The faith-filled prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. So here's the question. It's very simple. Do you need healing today? In spirit, in your soul, in your body do you need healing today? Lord, would you show us the places where we've been wounded, the places of disease, the places where our choices have gotten us in trouble. We're calling on your mercy. Lord, for the places we don't understand. Lord, maybe we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying and it feels like you're not answering our prayers, Lord, we choose to trust that even if we don't see you working in the way that we're praying, we still trust that you are. You are the God who is and you are a God who heals. Our confidence is in you today. Our confidence is in you. Would you begin to just pray in your own way and just talk to God about what it is that you need for him? When Jesus saw people That were sick, he said, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? Jesus, we look to you as our healer. We pray and we believe, Lord, that you are able. We trust you. We trust you, God. Today, if you need healing and you would like to have someone pray for you, I would encourage you to come forward. To come forward, let us pray with you today. We believe that God can heal. And if people are, are lined up behind people or maybe you're not comfortable walking down in this moment, but you want to talk to me or to one of these after the gathering today, we're going to make ourselves available so we can pray for you and pray with you. Hmm. I also encourage you to go to the prayer walls. That's a good way to write out your prayer to write out a praise. Maybe God has met a need and you want to give him thanks. There are communion stations because God heals us in our bodies. He heals us in our souls. He heals us in our spirits. And we think we're thankful for that. We commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus that pays for our healing in his body. We also want to pray for uh, Colby and Cassidy. Colby and Cassidy are getting ready to, to leave in a couple of weeks. They're going to be returning to their place of missionary service and we want to pray for them as they prepare that God will go before them and prepare. Colby has experienced a physical need in his heart. God has met him in many ways, but that doesn't eliminate the possibility of future surgery and they're trusting God with that as they go and serve. So maybe a couple of our deacons, maybe a couple of our elders could pray for Colby and Cassidy. If you'd raise your hand just so they can see you a little more easily. Right over here. And we want to pray for them as they they get ready to go. And pray for their protection over their spirit, soul, and body. That God will preserve you and keep you. God, we look to you as our healer. Lord, as we respond to you right now, Lord, we respond to a God that we know hears us and is able to take care of us. So Lord, as we pray with each other, as we pray with those that are gathered here, Lord, as we pray for Colby and Cassidy, we ask for an intervention in his physical body that will sustain him for the work that you've called him to. Lord, we pray for protection over their marriage. Lord, we pray for you to open doors of opportunity that will just blow their minds. Lord, for a place of provision, a place of blessing in the home that they have that's situated where they need to be. Lord, we know that you are able to keep them, to keep them, to keep them in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your work in their lives, Lord, and for the gift of them surrendering their lives to you and the witness of those that fully commit to you not only being Savior, but Lord of their lives, the one that they've handed over the keys and said, Lord, you're in in control. Lord, they've said yes to you. May they never take the keys back. Lord, I pray for them in Jesus' name that you will touch them in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we respond to you today, Lord, in prayer, Lord, we pray that you would do miracles today. In Jesus' name we pray. As we continue, we're not going to close except to say a word of benediction for those of you that are, are ready to leave. We aren't going to hold you, but if you would like to receive prayer, we're going to stay here for a while. You can go to the prayer walls. If you would like to come forward for communion, we invite you to respond in some way. Now, as you leave, as you go throughout this week, say yes to Jesus and to the healing that he offers to you today. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and may give you peace.